we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us on the JF Podcast. It is our hope that this most recent talk teaches you, inspires you, and challenges you to live the life you were designed to live. If this message has helped you in some way, help someone else by sharing it. And if you want more information about who we are, what we do, or you'd like to contribute to our community, you can find us at JolietNaz.org. Thanks so much for listening. It's good to be with you guys again. Uh, it's so cool to come back. It's so cool to see uh, some of you again. And now I've got people's names, which is great. Um, it has been a, an amazing uh, little run here for me. Um, as Brad said, there was a book that came out. But I'm just excited that it's finally spring. Why? What happened yesterday? I... You know, I'm fine changing my plans because of weather in like February, not in late April. So I'm not okay with that, but uh, it's good to be with you. I, I'm curious uh, as we start, if you have a moment in your life uh, that you can look back on and you would say, I would like a do-over. Uh, I play golf and uh, one of the best things about golf is something called a mulligan. And with a mulligan, you get to hit again uh, and pretend that the first shot didn't happen which is nice, except for you're the idiot that hit it the first time, so getting better the second time is probably not going to happen. So, but I love the idea of a mulligan. You get to do something over. You made a mistake. You get to try again. Uh, I wonder if maybe you all have a moment where you'd like a mulligan. I, I did what I like to do, and I went on the Internet, and I went to find some people who may actually in their jobs want to do over. And there are a few people like, for example, um, this particular person probably wants a do over. Everybody remember to sop. Um, or this guy, same, same principle, just give it a second. <laughs> they want to go back and do that one again. Or I, I love this one. This is a different definition of the word free. No, no. Or, or this, this is my favorite. Yes, open nine days a week. We've all wanted that extra day, and we got two. Isn't that fantastic? It's good to know that we aren't the only ones who have blown it, who have done something on a giant scale that now has to be painted over or changed. All of us have, have messed up in one way or another that we would love a do-over. For a minute here, bring to mind something from your past, a memory you have of something that you would like to do over. Could be from the last 24 hours. Could be from the last 12 years. If you've got 24 years, it could be from that far too. Bring to mind something that you would like to do over. I think the reason we would like a do-over is because we really do believe that if we did it again, if we had another shot with the gift of time and knowledge, we'd do it differently if we did it again, which I think is okay, but this, the problem is we won't ever get that chance. That thing is done, and it is what it is. As I've talked about this book that I wrote about memories, I've, I'm starting to figure out memories are one of those things that make us who we are. Memories make us who we are. And that's one of the key pieces of what I want to talk about today. All of our life's biggest questions, emotional, mental, relational, spiritual, really come down to the things that have happened in the past. You are the person you are sitting where you're sitting today because of the stuff that you've gone through. Successes and failures, the beautiful and the brutal, the painful and the poetic, it's all made you who you are. And so whatever God is going to do with us today However God is going to help or encourage or strengthen us is going to have to deal with the things that have already happened, the things that we've already gone through. 
And the reason why is because all of these memories are important, even the hard ones. They're all critical to the story that God is telling through our life. And the reason why kind of gets summed up in a, in a piece of scripture that gets quoted quite a bit. And if you haven't heard it before, you'll probably hear it from now on. But it's in the book of Romans in the New Testament. It says this, and we know, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. It's incredibly important to remember that the people who are reading this for the very first time are not in a good spot. The people Paul is writing to, the man who wrote this letter, the people he's writing to are in an incredibly difficult spot because their church is fractured and they are at each other's throats. I don't know if you know that, but sometimes churches can be angry with each other. Not you guys. Other churches can be angry with each other sometimes. They're living under an empire, under an emperor who is an egomaniac. And he's constantly oppressing them. This is not a great spot. So for Paul to step into that and go, hey guys, all things work together for the good. They're like, what are you smoking? Have you been around? Have you paid attention? Have you noticed what's happening? He says, no, no, no. Listen, the beautiful, the brutal, the painful, and the poetic, all things work together for the good of those who love him. How can we bring good out of a lot of memories that we have that are not good? How do we bring something beautiful out of something that seems so painful? And is God really capable of that kind of thing? That's what I want to talk about today. Some of this is, is really real for me because we just uh, celebrated, celebrated, I guess, we just passed a milestone. It was about a year ago that we moved back to this area. We moved to Rockford for a year and a half. And we moved back to this area too. We moved to Oak Forest. And uh, when we moved into our house, the lady who lived there was older and she eventually went into uh, an assisted living facility. So when we moved in, a lot of things needed to be taken care of. So I got to paint. Anybody love, just love painting? Dude, there are two, three of us, four of us, yes, solidarity. Uh, painting is fine. I, I painted eight of the nine rooms in our house, and I was fine with painting until like room six or seven. And then I started to like see things, because it's a lot of fumes, you know, and so I started to see things and I had to, had to go outside for a bit. One of the things I loved about painting was the rooms that needed two coats, because if you get to do a second coat, you get to make up for all the junk you missed the first time. Like, oh, I should have taken that outlet cover off because I'm not as good at this as I thought I was. Oh, look, red paint on the ceiling. You know what that means? I got to repaint the whole thing. That second time around, I got to do things differently. So maybe you and I don't get a do-over. Maybe what we get is when this moment comes again, we do it differently. Instead of a do-over, we get a second chance. There's a book in the Bible in the Old Testament that we don't, always, we don't talk about a lot. Uh, it's a book called Deuteronomy. And the word Deuteronomy literally means second law, second law. In this book, Moses, the guy who's talking for the majority of it, he's not giving a different law. It's not as if he said, okay, God gave this first law, which stunk, and so now we're going to get a second one that's better. It's not about that. It's about Moses coming back around again. This is the second time he's giving the same teaching. The second time, he's giving the same instruction. The second time, he's giving the same encouragement. But now he's giving it to a different group of people. The people he's giving it to now are the second and third generation of freed slaves. God, in the book of Exodus, goes into Egypt and frees people from slavery, brings them out of darkness and into light. But they get out and they're headed towards his promises. They're chasing his promises and they fail. And that failure leads to 40 years of wandering in the desert and two generations 
Almost two generations die before we find what happens in the book of Deuteronomy. Chasing after God's promises, and they do it imperfectly. A lot of us know what that feels like. We know what it's like to chase after the life that we feel would be better, and we take two steps forward, and then we take one giant leap back. We're dealing with our sobriety, and we take a couple good days, and then we have a time when we fall off the wagon again. We're dealing with our relationships, and we take two steps forward, and we're really doing well, and we're talking and being honest and being transparent, and then all of a sudden we slip back into being passive-aggressive again. We're doing well with our physical health, and we're eating better, and we're doing the things that we need to do, and then suddenly it's like, ah, forget this. It's just too hard. I'm going to slip back into the stuff that I used to do. See, the fact that life works as a two steps forward, two steps back, or two steps forward, one step back, or one step forward, one leap back, the fact that it works that way tells me we don't really need a do-over. That would be nice, but it's impossible. What we actually need is wisdom. What we actually need is wisdom. That's what helps us to handle the things that we're entering into. The definition of wisdom for me is this. Wisdom is the knowledge of how to live well. So yes, it's something we know, because the people, you hear the word wisdom and you think, oh, well, that's what old people have. Well, I've met some unwise old people, and I've met some very wise young people. So wisdom isn't really about age. Wisdom is about, do you take what you know and do something good with it? Do you take what you know and live well with it? And more so, if we're talking about God, do you take what you know about him and what you know about you and begin to put it into practice in the middle of whatever it is that you're going through? Wisdom is the knowledge of how to live well. When I, my wife and I first got married, I married into a family of short people. And I really do think the only thing that like, got me through and like, got my proposal accepted and all that was that I was tall enough to reach things on the top shelf. It was like the first Christmas I was home, they were like, oh, hey, glad you're here. Can you get all of that stuff off that shelf so we don't have to get the ladder out? I'm like, sure, that'd be great. So all of my family, like, like right here. And so I remember the first time I went to my wife's grandfather's house, grandparents' house, and they're short people too, tiny. I don't know what happened to these people. Um, the first time I went home with them, they, were, they said, okay, there's a shower in the basement you can use since there are a bunch of us in the house today. And I said, oh, okay. And I went to, I went to go downstairs, and they go, whoa, stop. Make sure you duck when you go down the stairs. I said, great, I'll duck when I go down the stairs. And then I did what we all do. We get that great piece of advice. We go, and then we get into our head, and we start thinking about something else. And, of course, I went halfway down the stairs, and wham, right into the... Because they all knew they had been down the stairs, and they are like, look, if we have to duck, you're going to die. You're going to lose your head going down the stairs. There are times, that's wisdom. That's knowledge of how to not crack your head on the overhang coming down the stairs. That's what wisdom is. It's the knowledge of how to live well. It's knowing what's coming or what has already come and using that to live differently in the future. Moses, who's doing, who's doing the talking in Deuteronomy, he's been there before. The situation in this setting, in that book, he's already done it once before. He's now 40 years older than the last time he was there, and he's got 40 years of wandering and all that experience. He's a different person, and they're a different people, but they're back at the exact same place. And that's really important because wisdom works because nothing is new. There's not a situation or a circumstance or a relationship conflict or an issue with addiction or an inner emotional thing that you're going through that no one has ever gone through before. 
I love what the writer of Ecclesiastes says. He says, history merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here is something new. Look, this has never happened before. But actually, it is old. I love that. But actually, it's, uh, it's old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past. And in future generations, no one will remember what we are doing right now. That's a little discouraging. I think maybe he was in need of some medication. But uh, what he's trying to say is there's nothing you and I will go through that has never happened before. Someone has been down the stairs before us and has hit their head before us. And sometimes it's us. Human beings have not changed. Whether in Jerusalem or Joliet, people are still making bad relational decisions. People are still spending money they don't have. People are still giving into lust, greed, and power and making horrible messes of their lives. Nothing is new. Wisdom is saying, okay, so what did we learn from that? And how do we live differently going into the future? See, our memories are moments when God reminds us of what we've experienced, what we've been through, when we've hit our head and said, now, because you have that, what do you do with it? Where do you go from here? We know those moments. We've had those moments. One of my favorite ones is the moment when you hear your child's room go quiet, like eerie quiet, and you go, what's going on in there? And they say, nothing. Oh, there's something. Because you've had that moment when you didn't check it out. You heard nothing and were like, oh, it's nothing. Great. And then you came back in and then the entire room was painted with, you know, crayons and makeup and whatever. You have those moments like, if I don't go in there and check that, I know living well is me not having to replace the carpet after not checking on that. We know the pain of that. That's wisdom. Wisdom is knowing these things are going to come around again. The things we've been through will happen again. So what do we do when they come around again? Might be a different time. Maybe different circumstances. So what do we do now? But like I said, Moses has been to this place before. So that's why at the very beginning of the book of Deuteronomy, he says this. These are the words that Moses spoke to all the people of Israel while they were in the wilderness east of the Jordan River. Last time this happened, they were pushing into a moment where they were going to take a hold of the land that God had said, this is where I'm sending you. You will be safe. You'll be provided for. You'll be cared for. You will be my people. We'll live there. It's going to be great. You're going to have your own space. You're going to have your own room. You may have a pool, you know, just the whole nine yards. That's in the Hebrew. You may not know that. They get to that place. They get to the river, and they're about to walk into it, and then they say, let's send some people over to see what we're dealing with because we have to go into this place that we've never been before. They send people over, and the people come back and go, it's great. There's giant grapes. There's all kinds of stuff, but there's giants. It's going to be risky. It's going to be painful. It's going to be difficult if we go over there. And so you and I have had this moment, right? We've been pushing towards something. We believe God is in it, or we believe this is the best decision we need to make, or this is, we believe this is the place God is leading us, and we get to the edge of that place, and we look at it, and we go, but it's going to be hard, and it's going to take risk, and it's going to be difficult for us to move into that spot. And so they do. I'd like to say that I would do this differently, but I just don't know. The people of Israel do what I think I would actually do. They freak out. They panic, and it says this in Numbers. And all the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron. I love that. It's y'all's fault that we're here. 
You brought us out here to this promise. How dare you? The whole congregation said to them, Would that we have died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become booty. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, let's choose a captain. And let's go back to Egypt. They seemed to forget that they were in slavery. They're about to make an unwise decision based on losing track of their memory, of their past. Because sometimes wisdom is helping us know where we're going in the future, and sometimes wisdom is, the future's too dangerous, I want to go back to the past. Because the devil we know is a heck of a lot easier than the one that we don't. Sometimes, when we're being unwise, we will choose to go back to slavery rather than go into the freedom that God has in mind for us. Because sometimes, slavery might not be wise, but it's just easier. I would love to have a healthier relationship with my wife, but being transparent and honest is just too hard. Let's go back to ignoring each other. I would love to be sober, but you know what? The world is hard and bright and loud. I need a way to cope with that. I'd love to be physically healthy again, but doggone it, five o'clock comes early. And it seems like every day it comes earlier. Are they changing the time? And Brussels sprouts still don't taste good. Still. Unless you put enough bacon with them. But that's a totally different, totally different discussion. Sometimes we would rather, we'd rather go back to the past because the future seems too dangerous. Listen, the risk that God is inviting you to take today is going to require strength and energy that he will give you, but it's also going to require some wisdom. We don't toss our experience of the past when we take risks. We bring it in so that we take a wise risk. We bring it in so that we know that where we're going is a good place. We bring it in because it teaches us something very important. Wisdom teaches us that God's best stuff God's best stuff comes after a long journey. It may be hard. It may be challenging. We might be afraid. But God's best always comes after a long journey. Moses remembers what that was like. He remembers watching people wander in the wilderness. He remembers watching the wrinkles deepen in his face as 40 years clicked by. He remembered struggling with his own faith as he's wandering in the wilderness going, I don't know if we're going to make it or not. I mean, they don't know, and now I don't know. And if your leader doesn't know, we're in bad shape. That long journey comes to this particular moment. And so what he does is he says, right here, guys, right here in front of our promise, right here 40 years later. I'll give you the commandments again, but before we do that, I'm going to tell you the story. I'm going to tell you the story of your granddaddies and your grandmammies. I'm going to tell you the story of the people who came before. I'm going to give you everything, warts and all. My failures, their failures, I'm giving you all of it because that will make you wise. And so he tells them the entire story again. This is what has happened since we came out of Egypt, and it's a mess. But you need to know that so you know where we're going in the future. Because wisdom comes when we're honest. You and I will gain wisdom when we're honest about our failures, warts and all, and our memories, warts and all. When we tell the story just as it was, not clean it up and not edit it. We don't learn from things that are edited. 
And so what Moses does is he tells them the whole story. And then at the end, this is what he says. He says, today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. He says, look, I've given you both sides of this. I've given you warts and all, the whole story. I've given you all of it. And now I'm giving you a chance to make a choice. And I love what he says after that. He says, oh, that you would choose life. And I can hear him saying it this way. Oh, guys, come on, choose life this time. It's been 40 years. We didn't do that last time. Here's what happened. Oh, come on, choose life. Because I can tell you what death looks like. See, that's where Moses is genius because he's like, 40 years of wisdom has taught me this. I can tell you what death looks like. I can tell you what slavery looks like. I can tell you what failure looks like. I can tell you what darkness looks like. Oh, come on. Choose life. Choose life so that you can live and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. I believe what God wants most for us is to make us wise. Because nothing is new. Everything has happened before and some of it's happened to us and we can learn from that. And God will take those things and bring them all to the good if we're willing to let it be, warts and all, what it is. And in the midst of all that, so how now do we choose life? How do we choose how to live well? It's what God has in mind for us. So how do we do that? I think there are a couple things we do to live wisely based on the things that we've gone through, based on our memories. The first thing is we need to remember what God has done before. A lot of times we want to start with the darkness. We want to start with the negative stuff. But I believe we need to start with seeing God has actually done some incredible things in our lives. So many of us have missed out on consequences that we should and did deserve. And that has happened more times than we'd like to admit. I can take just the period when I was a teenage driver and find about 30 times that it should have gone really badly and didn't. I see people nodding. Yes. There are times when God has come through for us in times when it didn't look like things were going to come through at all. And so what we do is we go back and we remember what God has done before. One of the things that Moses says in Deuteronomy is he says, listen, it's going to be easy for you guys to forget. It's going to be easy for for you guys to get. So here's what's going to happen. He says, in the future, your children are going to ask you, what is the meaning of these laws, decrees, and regulations that the Lord our God has commanded us to obey? It's a a good kid question. Like, why are we doing all this dumb stuff? Like, why do we have to have all these ceremonies? Why do I have to wear this shirt to church? And why do I have to do all of these different things? Why do I have to do that in the first place? It's dumb. And he says, then you must tell them, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his strong hand. You and I have multiple moments where the strong hand of God has reached in to our story and has dragged us out, sometimes kicking and screaming, from the muck that we put ourselves in. We have memories of God rescuing us, of God taking broken, shattered people and making them whole again. We have those things in the past. The best thing we can do is to go back and think about them and say, I remember that God rescued me. It is very possible that he will do it again. And if that's true, then how do I live well right now? If I know God is going to come through. My wife and I had a situation where 
We served a church for about five years, and uh, I, just, I just graduated from seminary, and I was, well, I felt like I was awesome. And uh, I don't know if you've ever had that feeling like, I'm awesome, I got this. Um, and so I went to this church, and I was going to this church, and I had a conversation with somebody I knew who knew the area, and uh, he said, sure, you're going to that church? I said, yeah, and he goes, wow, that is like the most contentious church in this county. They are a mess. And I thought, I could have used that about six weeks ago when I made this decision. Thank you for your wisdom. Uh, but I went anyway because I was awesome. And maybe the other guys who had come before didn't change things, but I was going to change things. I didn't change things. I went in and uh, it was just a mess. And it was a mess. And it had been a mess for like 50 years. And so after battles, after fights, did you know churches fight with each other? Did we talk about this already? I went out through battles and fights and things like that. I finally got to a point in 2008 where I was standing in our sanctuary and we had the one aisle. It was one of those like traditional white churches with the big steeple. We even had the bell and sometimes I'd ring it at random times just for fun. Um, and you, they had the aisle down the middle and right above the way out to the outside, we had a picture that, that traditional painting of Jesus. And some of you have seen it where Jesus is blonde. Have you seen blonde Jesus before? You know Jesus grew up in the Middle East, so he probably had olive-colored skin and dark hair. This Jesus looked like he just came from Holland. So he's, and he's doing this, like he's posing for a glamour shot, like, and the wind machine, you know. So we started calling him Dutch Jesus. Anyway, we had this painting of Dutch Jesus back here, and I'm standing there, and, I don't, and I'm just at my wit's end, and I just looked at Dutch Jesus, and I said, listen, I'm done with these people, and I'm done with this place, so you do something. Whatever you're going to do, do it. I'm done. I'm out. It's either this or sell used cars, your choice. And the next four months, I get an email from somebody I didn't know about a church I'd never heard of for a job I didn't know existed that I ended up taking, which is what brought me in 2009 to Parkview over in Orland Park. And the interesting thing about that moment is my wife and I continue to come back to that part of our history when things get difficult, when things get dark, when we feel like we're ready to give up and sell used cars and we're like, hey, look, he came and got us out of that church. Maybe he'll do it again. And maybe we don't need to leave. Maybe we just need to be stronger. Wisdom begins with us remembering what God has done and living as if that's true in the present in our relationships, in our work, in our family, in our prayer, in whatever it is that we do. Second thing we need to remember is to remember that grace turns failure into wisdom. Because what I know, talking to people about memories, is that a lot of the memories that really haunt us are ones where we've failed. And it's true. Moses is standing there in front of people who their grandparents failed. It wasn't even them. A lot of them weren't even born yet. Their grandparents had failed, and now they're feeling the weight of that. And one of the things that I notice about my memories and the stories that I've been through is that the places where I've failed, God has taken that and has given me grace so that that doesn't have to restrain me, but it can actually become wisdom for living in the future. My daughter, when she was six, I was teaching her to ride a bike. There is nothing other than maybe... I don't know this yet, but I think it's coming, teaching a child how to drive. But my daughter was learning how to ride a bike, and I just remember her, she had her little pink helmet on, and she had like the bowl cut with the straight bangs, and her little chubby cheeks, and we'd just taken the training wheels off, and she was starting to do that like wobble through the wilderness kind of thing. 
And I remember her giving up over and over again. And my time at that point was pretty stretched, and I was working a lot, and my energy was depleted. And I remember losing my patience and looking at her and saying, I don't have time to teach babies how to ride bikes. She's six. And I watched the bottom lip start to quiver. (laughs) And I wish I'd had those words on a string. And at that moment, I was like, I'm a failure as a father. I should turn in my card. It's over. And since then, God has given me that memory to remind me, hey, you failed, but here's the wisdom. You can't give yourself away to everybody else. You need some energy for the people who matter most to you. The reason you did that is because you were tapped out. It's wiser to rest well so you have the energy for your family. Don't forget that. Remember what God has done and remember that grace turns failure into wisdom. I'm going to take a moment and pray here. I want to ask you to think about the memory that's been in your brain since we started talking. So if you close your eyes and bow your heads with me, think about the memory that's been in your mind ever since I started talking. Maybe it's a memory of failure where someone failed you. Maybe it's a memory where you failed someone else. Maybe it's not failure. Maybe it's, maybe you don't know what it is. You just know it's important. I want you to ask yourself two questions about this memory. Number one, what is God doing? What do you see God doing in that memory now? Maybe he's helping you see it for the first time as it is. Maybe the gift of time has given you the ability to see exactly what was going on and you see it differently. Where is God working in the midst of that memory? Where is he setting you free from the pain of it? Where is he redeeming it, bringing all things to the good out of it? And second, where is God giving you some grace to turn a failure into the wisdom of how to live well right now? Where is God taking a moment where you blew it? Or where you watched someone else blow it? And now he's teaching you, this is how you live differently going forward. God, thank you. Thank you that you teach us. Thank you that you bring good out of all things, including memories that we'd rather forget. Form us and shape us. Make us wise for whatever it is you have in the future. All this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.